Media Podcast Presentation. Same old, same old shit is happening. Already kicking out for the new year. Um, Social media is on fire right now. You know, the official, the Lifetime channel has premiered the R. Kelly documentaries. And that is nonstop conversation on social media. All these celebrities are saying they either fuck with him, they don't fuck with him, they're sorry they fucked with him. You know, it's a whole ongoing conversation. And there's also some tea behind this doc as well that I've been seeing on social media. It hasn't really been getting any buzz, but we're going to talk about that too. So, um... For all you who have seen it, who haven't seen it, who just been reading the conversation, is basically they put together all of the accusations against Robert Kelly and um, ongoing. This is not just what happened in a certain time period. It's something that he's continually doing. Um, it seems like he's just tried to maneuver a little bit, uh, you know, escape the the... The possibility of trying to go to jail with messing with underage girls by um, obtaining barely legal girls. The girls that are 17, 18, 19, depending on what state he's in. And he has um, been maintaining a sex cult in his home in Atlanta and different locations where he's not just sleeping with these girls for a few times and 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 letting them be he's actually holding them for years and he is just being the monster that he I guess aspires to be or he never thought I don't I don't know I can't even think about what he's thinking about because I have no idea but the conversation the feedback of the conversation is not new um Kelly is always going to have supporters, unfortunately, men and women. And I was actually on Facebook looking at the people that I'm a chat, um, I'm connected to on Facebook to see who still likes R. Kelly on my page. And surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, the majority of people I'm connected to, or the majority of people that like R. Kelly that I am connected to, are from Chicago, and they're women. Like, it's not even a bunch of guys that like R. Kelly paid. It's mostly women. I would say it's like 92% women that like R. Kelly that I'm connected to. And... I was thinking about that time, you know, being in high school in the late 90s, early 2000s, and how young girls, the few that did escape that culture, it was so hard because, you know, growing up, 
you know, older men started looking at me when I was about 12, 13 years old. And I remember I wanted to attend Kenwood High School. Kenwood High School is on the south side of Chicago. Um, this is was this was notorious stomping grounds for Kelly. I wanted to attend the high school and my family would not allow me to even apply for Kenwood because the whole R. Kelly situation that was attached to Kenwood. So I'm saying this to say that even though my household was aware of Kelly and these accusations and him preying on girls and they tried their best to keep me off that circle which is kind of hard and at this period in the 90s the late 90s you know 98 99 it was hard because Kelly was popping in Chicago and if you were if you were a teen and you had talent um, if you had talent, if you knew somebody that had talent, if you hung out with somebody who knew somebody that had talent, the circles and the separations between you and R. Kelly got dramatically smaller. So I've never met R. Kelly, but I know girls that either partied with R. Kelly or were hit on by R. Kelly. Um, and unfortunately, even though my family was, you know, was like, you're not going to Kenwood because of these situations. You know, the unfortunate part was that didn't stop grown men from, from talking to me. You know, um, I was, I was... I went to high school on the north side and, you know, going to school, you know, on the north side is a little bit different. You know, um, you don't get the abundance of grown men uh, standing outside of the high school entrance and exit when school is out. You know, I'm saying like if I would have went to Robeson, I definitely would have had grown ass men waiting for me. Not just me particularly, but waiting for young girls to come out of school and, you know, kind of harass them. Um, the North Side, I didn't get that as much. But what I did get, I did still get grown-ass men trying to talk to me because there's, you know, the the connection to the North Side and the South Side is downtown Chicago and downtown Chicago, you know, even though I was I was not getting the grown men meeting me outside of school, there was the grown men that I encountered on my way and coming home from school. So even though my parents and my family felt if they ship me up on the north side, you know, I'm going to be avoiding all this R. Kelly, you know, possibilities or circles they didn't, you know, uh, calculate the random grown men that are nobodies that will be watching their young daughter, you know, their teenage daughter, um, 
commute from high school. And it was obviously I was in high school. I had a CTA, um, uh, a CTA high school badge, which um, if you was in high school in the late 90s or the early 2000s, before they got rid of tokens, you had to get a CTA high school badge. And you would put take the CTA high school badge to the um, to the counter at at, at the um, train station, and they would give you like tokens, or they'll give you um, a, a a transit card for high, half price or reduced price. So I had this high school CTA badge, and I had my um, high school ID a book bag and I was young. I have a I mean I have a young face now, so I know I looked like a baby then. And that did not stop grown ass men from talking to me. You know, this this predator shit is bigger than R. Kelly. R. Kelly needs to be locked up. And to be honest, I don't believe in the justice system enough to lock up R. Kelly. At this point Somebody needs to old yellow R. Kelly ass. Put this motherfucker out his misery. Because I don't he has too much influence. Not just in because he's rich and because he has influence and he has people working in police departments. But put him out his misery. Look, if somebody shot R. Kelly, I wouldn't cry. I mean, yeah, he has kids, but he ain't paying no child support. He's a horrible parent. He is, and I don't think his talent supersedes all of the shit he has done and the shit he continues to do. But this is bigger than R. Kelly. This is a societal issue about grown men and not just men because you know what i know not all men whatever the fuck but it's about adults preying on teens let teens grow up and you know what what also irks me what also irks me is all these motherfuckers like oh i seen girls you know, riding around box Chevys with these grown-ass dudes when I was in high school, and they they were seducing. Let me tell you something. If you're not attracted to a teenager, you cannot be seduced by a teenager. Point blank, period. I don't care what they are wearing. I don't care what they are saying. You cannot be seduced by a fucking teenager. Simple as that. It's just simple as that. And I find it ridiculous that all these people are putting the the blame on these teenagers when you got grown-ass women in their 30s can't even get right with these men. Like, you got grown-ass women who who are completely able-bodied and they still getting fucked over by dudes. They still being lied to by men. They're still being played by men. They even even when they be pygmies and they want to, you know, uh submit and and uphold these antiquated gender stereotypes and roles, 
they are still being dogged out by men being manipulated, being abused. So we expect 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old developing young children who are trying to phase into adulthood to understand and have the willpower and the necessary maturity to deal with people 5, 10, and even 15 years their senior. That doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense, and I don't even understand how these motherfuckers are even forming their lips to say shit like that. You know, and to be honest, I believe the black community is not really going to hold Kelly to the standard that he should be held to because we would rather blame and sexualize these young girls for dressing this way having a body at this certain age, developing teens. Like, that's the whole point of being a teenager. You're developing into an adult, hormones. Like, okay, it might be a 15-year-old that's six feet tall. They're growing. You know, when I was 14, you know, I was a freshman in high school. When I was a freshman in high school, I was a small C-cup, right? Right? And I was like a 36, no, 34, 36 C cup when I was a freshman. I mean, that's kind of big for a freshman, but it, I was still like, you know, I wore like a bat, like a hoodie. I was okay. That following year when I turned 15 and I, and I was a sophomore, I went from a C cup to like a D cup. Right? I was like a 34D. I went up a whole cup size. And, you know, because my body was developing, you know, I could not stop grown ass men from being in my face. Like, I would just walk to the store and men would like, you know, dudes in cars would like honk their horns or, you know, try to ride down on me. And you know what was the the, the most terrifying uh, situation and scenario is when I had to walk somewhere and there would be a group of guys on the corner. That still terrifies me to this day. And I'm a whole ass adult. You know, because you never know who going to try to touch you, who's going to, you know, um, say something to you. Like, I knew a girl um, who I was in elementary school with. And uh, she was a year older than me, so she was, like, in the sixth grade. And she got raped in an abandoned home um, not far from where I lived. And... I never understood why the boys would call her a hoe, right? They would just call her a hoe. She a hoe, she a hoe, she a hoe. And they only called her a hoe from what I understood after the fact because she got raped. Because in their mind, 
only, you know, really sexual promiscuous girls get raped. And that's like a stigma that plagues us. Not just as black people, but as a as a society. Only bad girls get raped. Good girls don't get raped. Because, you know, good girls are respectable. And, you know, they, you know, they're not, they they go home at a decent hour. You know, they, they dress with fucking skirts that hit their ankles. You know, that bullshit or whatever. But she was only in sixth grade. You know, she was tall for her age, but that's it. And she wore, like, ponytails. Like, she was a regular sixth grader. And because of that, you know, because it was on the news, because, you know, police were called, she got this reputation of being a hoe for being a victim. And that's what we're doing with these victims, with, our, with you know, R. Kelly. They're being... They're being... You know, they're they're being villainized for being victims as opposed to Kelly, who is the actual monster in the situation, who he is the actual abuser. But the T is, you know, Kelly can say, oh, you know, I was abused when I was a kid and people sympathize with that. You know, no questions asked. He was abused. By a man and a woman. No questions asked. No one doubts that he was abused. But these people that he abuses. All the questions. Is for money. Is for money. Is for money. And let me tell you something. There is. There is actually. A social. Economic factor. With these victims. Alright. Older people. It's in my experience, especially older men, when they want to get the attention of young teens, they use money. They use material um, possessions to get their attention. Teenagers are simple. Teenagers are simple as hell. You know, and I believe, you know, and I'm speaking out of my own privilege that the reason why I didn't get caught up so much with older men is because I didn't have a I didn't have an economic need for older men. I got everything I wanted, you know. You know, I and plus I was I thought I was too fly to be riding around in anybody burnt up as boxed Impala or Chevy anyway. If <laughs> we I mean hello <laughs> I wasn't riding in nobody old ass car but not just that, but I, there wasn't an economic need for me. You know, I was getting allowance every week. I was getting money on top of my allowance. I had a uh, um, a transit card to commute. You know, I could still go to the mall and get all the CDs I wanted. You know, I had I had my own um, uh, uh, funds to to maintain the the activities and hobbies that I already desire. So there was no need for me to um, be seduced by older men and their money because, you know, I was taken care of already by my own family. So because of that, I would say that played a, a part in me not falling prey to a lot of these predators because they didn't have shit to offer me. That I didn't already have. And that really needs to be taken in consideration. Because you know. When you're poor. 
and you don't have anything and you're tired of not having anything, especially as a teen. And, you know, I know a lot of you motherfuckers will lie right now, but if you ever been in school and, you know, everybody got the Jordans or whatever and everybody got this and everybody got that and you ain't got it. And then some older motherfucker, you know, be like, oh, I'll buy it for you. I'll buy it for you. There, you you get into the mindset that they are at your disposal, right? And then it's it goes from there. Then the manipulation starts, and the abuse comes in, and then next thing you know, you're caught up. And watching this whole series with Kelly made me feel so bad because I was a big Aaliyah fan. Like, I'm still an Aaliyah fan. I loved Aaliyah. I loved her style. I loved her, her music, you know. But a part of me looking at it now, what makes me really sad is Aaliyah didn't have a chance in the industry and in life. She didn't have a fucking chance. And I blame Kelly. I blame her uncle and her family. She didn't have a chance. After she moved on from R. Kelly, you know, there there's a story where Timbaland admits that he was in love with her when she was like 17. And she allegedly dated Jay-Z and Dame Dash. And, you know, uh, I remember an article in the Source magazine back in 2000, 2001, I believe, you know, where she was rocking the Rockefeller chain with, and she was with Jay-Z and he was like holding on to her like really affectionately. And, um, she just said, you know, we're just friends. We're just friends. Cause he's a player, you know, allegedly he broke her heart. And I remember as soon as Aaliyah died, Jay-Z pops up with Beyonce, but that's neither and it's no surprise. <laughs> it's no surprise that Jay-Z didn't want to talk about R. Kelly. But let's get to the tea, though. Because there's a lot of tea behind this documentary that's not really getting any buzz. And you know, I always try to keep my ears to the streets. You can talk to me about anything, okay? Um, Apparently, there's a Twitter user called Brown and Blaze who wrote that Dream Hampton is an enabler when it comes to abusers. And there was a Facebook story note that was posted that, you know, um, Dream Hampton actually stole this project from somebody. Now, well, let me retract that Dream Hampton stole a project from somebody. I don't know if this specific the specific project that she stole was this R. Kelly documentary or was it another film? But apparently, um, Dream, you know, it was a it was a project by a filmmaker, a another black young woman, and she had a team already. And Dream wanted to come on as a producer as an EP, as an executive producer. And she told this young person that if if Dream was able to put her name on this film, she'll be able to raise more money. And allegedly, she put it on Kickstarter, right? And Dream was listed as a director or the EP or whatever. 
and Jay-Z gave her, Jay-Z gave Dream Hampton $10,000 for this project. Again, I don't know if this project is, you know, if they, if, because it was never really clear that they were saying that this project was the R. Kelly doc or if it was another project, but I don't know any other films that Dream is doing or is in developing or is in development with as of right now. So I'm going to assume they mean this R. Kelly doc. So, um, yeah, so they, they said, you know, Dream Star putting her name on it and they had already did the leg work and, you know, in order for her to get funded, she had to take her name off and put Dream name on. That's what she did. Um, how Dream told her that, you know, she wanted to change up the um, talent team. And what I mean by talent team, I mean like camera people, video people, because one of the um, one of the talent was a white straight male. And, you know, Dream was like, According to this person that Dream did not want a white straight male. She wanted to, well, she assumed that Dream only wanted to have black women working on this project, from what she know, or um, include more um, black queer talent. So after they get funded and, you know, it's a go and, you know, people are interested in it. Uh, she also she also states that um, Dream then requires her to put more money into her project. Then she she never saw this money, like the ten thousand that Jade donated and some other people donated. She got a lot of money. She took her share. She paid her team, and then that was that. She so she never really saw any bread from this. And now her name is cut out of it. She's not receiving any money. Dream is actually requiring her to pay her money for her project. So there's some tea around this. And it was interesting because we saw Joe rebranded Button in this doc. And it's like, my God, didn't you beat the shit out of Esther and make her lose her baby? How are you talking about R. Kelly when you ain't shit as well. And then to make matters worse, you see, you know, Ashley Charlemagne the God, who is also he who emitted, who 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 admits that he drugged his wife who was underage and had sex with her. I don't know if it was drugs or he got her drunk. I, I just know it involved like a liquor party and people were underage. And again, this is bigger than R. Kelly. This is like a norm for older people, specifically men, but not excluding women, but men preying on these young girls. And it's like, oh, it's normal. Oh, what state you live in? It's legal in your state to date a seventeen-year-old. Why would you want to be? Why would, as a grown adult, you're twenty-seven, you're thirty years old? Why are you even eyeing a seventeen-year-old girl? Like, why can't old older adults leave teens alone? And there's this idea 
that these young girls are not just naive, but they're virgins, they, you know, and this obsession that men have with the flowering girls is sick as fuck. The fact that they think they could be used. And you know what another irony is amongst all this? You know, niggas would be quick to call you a gold digger. But they seduce younger girls with money. Make it make sense, please, somebody. Make it make sense. Talking about R. Kelly really frustrates me. You know, because... It seems like, at least because I'm a black girl, so I'm speaking from a black girl experience, that, you know, as soon as we hit 12, 11, 12, we start getting some height and we start, you know, picking up weight. That's like when the wolves start smelling, you know, smelling us that we're trying to grow. We're trying to, we're growing into these beautiful flowers and they just won't let us grow. And I remember there was a a time in the 90s where teen pregnancy was an epidemic. And you know what niggas don't ever really talk about when it comes to teen pregnancies, especially with black girls. A lot of those pregnancies, you know, when it was like 14, 15, 16 year old girls, a lot of those girls weren't being getting pregnant by other teens they would be they were getting pregnant by these old ass niggas that was preying on them that's a real conversation to be having because that goes you know unnoticed and untalked about a lot of times you know they'll say oh teenage girls getting pregnant all these teens having sex but it wasn't like you know you know, teenage sweethearts having babies. It was these grown-ass dudes, you know, following your daughter after school. And as a girl from Chicago who commuted an hour and a half every day to and from school, it wasn't just these D-boys on the corner that was talking to me it was these motherfuckers these niggas that work downtown chicago okay that got off work or was going to work all right because i got on the red line i got on 69th street every day at 6 a.m all right it wasn't too many high schoolers on the train early in the morning those are niggas going to work okay when I got downtown Chicago on Jackson Street coming from the north side, it was about 4.30 when I got to downtown Chicago. Between 4 o'clock and 4.30. And yeah, it was kids from other schools, but those weren't the ones talking to me. It was niggas that's working on Lake Laramie, Jackson, Wabash, who see that I'm a college, I mean, that I'm a high school girl. I'm clearly coming from high school. I got a book bag. I got my high school um, ID around my neck turned around so you can't see my name. Or they can see like the the chain I'm wearing that has that's connected to an ID. 
it wasn't it wasn't just D boys. And to be one hundred, if we keeping it if we keeping it super real, it was the D boys that actually protected me from real goofy ass niggas. See, my mother lived on 62nd in Champlain. And for those who don't know, that's near 63rd and um, Cottage Grove in Chicago. In between 63rd and Cottage Grove and in between and, um, 63rd and King Drive. So I live right off 69th and State Street. So I would walk from 69th and State all the way to 62nd and Champlain. And... When I would stay weekends with my mom or whatever the case may be, if there was even a time period where I lived with my mom, um, anytime like older guys would talk to me or anything like that, I used to walk to the store and between 62nd and Champlain, the next block over is St. Lawrence and then a few blocks over is Cottage Grove and you know, the park is right there, um, you know, and I would walk the same direction all the time. And there was, like, these group of dudes. Like, they was, like, MCs. Mickey Cobras in Chicago is a gang who would kind of, like, watch me. And I kind of got, like, shook. You know, because I don't know no MCs at that time. Like, like your neighborhood... You know the gang members in your neighborhood. And the gang members in your neighborhood know you. Where they know where you live. They know what house you live in. They know who you live with. And everything like that. Especially if you grew, if you were born and raised in the neighborhood. And the gang members are people you actually grew up with. So this was a neighborhood I didn't grow up in. So I was a little shook. And I remember um, this dude tried to talk to me. And he was like 24, 25. I was like all of 15 at the most. 15 at least. You know. And he would, he lived like right there off Cottage Grove. And he would like always try to talk to me or get my attention. And you know, when he would come outside or if he was outside and I was walking to the store, he would kind of like try to walk with me. And I was you could see on my face I was uncomfortable. So one day, um, I was coming from the store, and these MCs or whatever. So they outside, right? And this dude trying to talk to me, and like you know, one of these dudes, these little MC dudes, he walks up to me like, "Yo, what time you?" Like he was screaming at me like, "Yo." what time your mama told you to go home or something like that. And I was like, what? And the dude kind of like, you know, stopped talking to me and kind of turned around and walked back to his house. And I was looking like, do I know you? And he was like, he was like, you know, you ain't supposed to be talking to nobody. You know, you need to go home. And I was like, who the fuck is this nigga? Like, do I know him? Like he didn't even, he, I don't even know how he knew I even live with my mother. Maybe it was a guest. I don't know. Because my mom was new in the neighborhood too. So, I don't know. So, um, I just like, okay, whatever. And I walked home. And then every time I would come over there or I would go to the store, he would be like, yo, I hope ain't nobody following you, right? Ain't nobody following you, right? 
And one day I was walking from the park with my, I was walking from the park because I used to walk to the park because the park was right there. And, you know, he'll be like, it's too late for you to be walking home by yourself. And he started, him and like a few of the other MCs used to start walking me home. And let me tell you something. I know they was up to no good, not when it came to me, but in general, their everyday life. I know they was mixy as hell. They was probably robbing niggas, doing, you know, selling drugs. But these particular group of guys, they never hit on me. They never asked me for anything. All they would do was make sure I got home. And I, I, when I walked, when I was walking home, or if they saw me walking from a park, wherever they, they would come out of nowhere. Like they wasn't even on the corner. They would be like somewhere up in the porch, somebody's porch, and they would just come out of nowhere and like walk me home. And that's it. They didn't ask me. I don't even think they knew my name. Okay? They didn't even know my name. They just walked me home. And that's it. They'll be like, you need anything? You need anything? And that's it. And that's, I don't even know their name. I don't remember their name. You know, if they saw me walking, you know, in the evening time or whatever, They'll offer, hey, you want to hang out and sit on the sit on the you know porch with us or whatever. But they never came on to me. They never flirted with me. They never propositioned me at all. They just wanted to make sure I was cool. And if I had a guy friend that we would walk to the park together, <laughs> they would make sure that guy friend knew that there was somebody watching me. I mean, they were like kind of like big brothers in a way, even though I didn't really know them and they didn't know me. But this is this. I mean, they they didn't treat me like creeps. You know what I'm saying? So it was but it was these other dudes, these other dudes who who, you know, regular, regular niggas, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, again, I'm going to keep saying it's bigger than R. Kelly, but R. Kelly needs to be dealt with he needs to go away i don't think r kelly could be rehabilitated i don't think there's enough counseling in the world for the nigga i think he just needs to be either locked away or put in a ground and yo for real for real that's all i got to say about that what is miss dainty thug feeling this week this is where i tell you what i'm reading what i'm listening to some new product i've tried and let you know what i think unapologetically hey 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 so ironically i read the first two issues of Ju joint and bitterroot now Ju joint is by t franklin and she had a successful kickstarter um with her her comic bingo um bingo love and she's been at comic con and she's been receiving a lot of praise and stuff like that so she's out with a new um comic on image and it's called juke joint is based in the 1950s in louisiana and it's a comic about um a brothel owner she has a jazz brothel her name is mahalia she's the main character in the comic and she has this really sexy brothel and you know anything goes with consent so the whole theme of the comic is you know live your sexual fantasies as long as it's with consent and you know of course you know 
when it comes to consent, no matter how open your environment is and no matter how you you know how free you are to embrace any and all sexuality um fetishes there's still going to be some motherfuckers that break the rules and of course there are a few who still break the rules who are still who choose to be abusive and overly aggressive so Mahalia is also um a voodoo priestess and she has like this group of really sexy sexually sexual fluid sirens and basically they eat and kill all abusers so if someone's in this jazz club and they like grabbing on people without consent they die if they hit a woman they die <laughs> if they're racist they die if they're biggest they die so this whole story is um this comic is based on um uh victims a lot these victims are actually dead the sirens are dead they're women who died from abuse or bigotry or racism and um Mahalia she she has you know she keeps them alive she's risen them from the dead to do all of the um anti-hero work as far as getting revenge and setting these people straight so I think it's a really cool comic um one of the sirens eats the face of a man who was um, verbally abusive to one of the girls in the jazz brothel. It's really cool. It's like a horror horror comic wrapped up in social justice. I fucks with it. I think you should fuck with it too. I'm two issues in. There's a new issue out. I haven't read it yet, but I like it so far. Um, it's a good, easy read. Um, it really enforces... Um, why consent is non-negotiable and i think you'll like it i dainty thug approved all right next up is bitterroot bitterroot is written by chuck brown and david f walker david f walker is better known for nighthawk and writing power man iron fist and um sanford green has um sanford green is also on this project he's the artist and Chuck Brown has, you know, written, like, a lot of indie stuff, like cigarettes and trench coats. And this comic is set in the 1920s during the Harlem Renaissance. And this family that's in New York are, are like, um, they're, like, supernatural, um, I don't really know what to call them. I don't I can't call them witches and I can't call them priestess, but they they do like a lot of conjuring and um there are monsters in the story and they're fighting monsters and it's not an easy it's not as easy of a read as um juke joint in my opinion because I'm two issues in but I have to read more to really understand where the story is going. Like, I understand that this particular New York family, you know, are working with some of the police department because this the this police precinct understands that this family is the answer to killing these monsters and the first issue. And, um... 
these monsters, I'm not really sure if the monsters are um, monsters that are from the past. I'm not really sure if these are monsters that are just like super all supernatural monsters or if they are people who have died who were evil. I, I don't really understand like really where the monsters come from. I'm pretty sure that's covered in the third issue, but I haven't read the third issue yet. Um, the second issue, I mean, one of the highlights is um, <laughs> one of the characters called White People Peckerwood, and he, there's they're like about to lynch a black kid, and it's in Mississippi, I believe, if I recall correctly, and this black man comes in and he kills all the KKK. Now they all hooded and everything like that and he shoots all of them and he only he only lets one white boy live and when he takes off the hood of some of these KKK of these clansmen they're also monsters and his reasoning for not killing the kid is because the kid hasn't killed anybody. So I'm trying to piece together if these monsters are monsters because they've murdered people unjustly or what the case may be. Um, now with the family, there's the conflict in the family is one of the girls in the family, you know, that works with the grandmother. Um, uh, she wants to do more hands-on to kill the Genos. I believe I'm saying it correctly. She wants to kill the Genos with her brothers and, and, and the boys of the family. But her, but the, the mother or the grandmother, I'm not sure if she's the mother or the grandmother, um, but she's definitely the matriarch, matriarch of the family. Um, they call her Maeda. So I'm assuming that she's the grandmother or maybe great grandmother. And um apparently they've already lost a family member trying to kill the Genos. And I believe this the young girl of the family might be the last girl in the family, I believe. I'm not sure. Um so the grandmother wants her to just focus on creating the serums and working inside the house and letting the boys fight because, you know, she wants the girl to stay close to her. So, um, they kind of have like the super backpack, backpack that kind of look kind of like Ghostbusters and this, um, serum is kind of like a ooze color, like a really glowy ooze Teenage Mutant Ninja type of color. And they use it to stabilize the monsters, the Genos. Now, in the second issue, they're in the park um, trying to recover and save some people. And this big evil hawk bird comes out of nowhere and but then the bird says, "Hey, I'm not a Geno." So I guess there's another plot of monsters that we have to be on the lookout for. So it is a very interesting read. At the end of the um, second issue, you get a lot of feedback from 
um, Professor John Jennings. If you don't know who John Jennings is, if you're in New York City, you can go to the Black Comic Book Festival um, at the Schaumburg. That's coming up, actually. I believe it on in this this month actually, um, and he pretty much describes um, bitter root as you know race horror, race horror, and a ethnogothic, which is a really interesting way to um, describe this um, kind of Afrofuturism um, production. So I am going to keep reading it because I want to know. You know why this bird is in a genome, and I am interested in knowing more of the family history. So I'm going to keep reading it. So um, the third issue is out. It's called Bitter Root, and you should check it out. 